We were pushing a lot of different type of content. It included podcast ads. We had email sequences that we sent. Again, we were changing the messaging on those a bit. We had social posts. I recorded several different videos that we shared on IGTV and elsewhere. And our sole call to action on all of those pieces was asking people to join the waitlist for Proof to Product Labs. There are a lot of misconceptions about what it takes to launch and sell a new online course or program. Heck, there are a lot of misconceptions about selling in general, but this is just one podcast episode. Now, launching, depending on when and where you started your small business, means many different things. I've talked to plenty of people who swear it's not a launch if you don't have a Facebook ad funnel. Others will swear it's not a launch if there isn't a three-part video series to warm up your audience. Still, others will swear it's not a launch if you don't have a list of 15,000 people to blast with 30 different emails. Launching a new online course or program has become so misunderstood and simultaneously blown out of proportion that I often outlaw the use of the word entirely. As my friend Amy Walsh once said, launching is for rockets. Instead of launching, I plan and talk about sales campaigns. After all, that's what we're doing. We're on a campaign to sell our product or service. Now today, we're diving straight into an incredibly successful sales campaign to get the nuts and bolts of what worked. I'm Tara McMullen, and this is What Works, the show that takes you behind the scenes to explore how small business owners are building stronger businesses. When the economy ground to a halt earlier this year, many small businesses were forced to think fast and make big changes on the fly. And at this point, we're probably all familiar with the local restaurant that figured out an ingenious takeout model, or the local clothing store that created virtual shopping appointments, or the local yoga studio that started sharing classes, workshops, and meditations online. And while many digital small business owners kept operating business as usual, or as usual as one can operate in a pandemic, there were a few groups that were deeply affected by the shutdowns. Now, two of those groups were, one, small business owners running in-person events as a component of their otherwise online business, and two, small business owners who depend on trade shows for the majority of their wholesale orders. Today's guest is Katie Hunt, who is a member of the former group and serves the latter group. Katie is the founder of Proof to Product, which helps creative entrepreneurs run and grow thriving product-based businesses. She works with designers, illustrators, and artists to help them develop in-demand product lines and get them sold in stores all over the world. Now, not long after the pandemic threw her business and the industry she serves for a major loop, Katie and her team launched Proof to Product Labs to provide a completely digital, ongoing support opportunity for business owners when they needed it most. And the launch of Proof to Product Labs? Well, it was a smash. Katie and I get into all the nuts and bolts of how she adjusted the offer to meet the moment and how she warmed up her audience before the campaign, as well as the exact mix of emails, podcast ads, and social media content she used to sell the offer when it went live. We also talk about how she sees the sales system evolving in the future and how the offer has been received now that people are using it. Now, let's find out what works for Katie Hunt. Katie Hunt, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to be here, Tara. Thank you so much for having me. 
Of course. I cannot wait to hear this story. Uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about the launch and uh, initial sales campaign for Proof to Product Labs. But first, I would love to hear the origin story behind Proof to Product Labs. Yeah. So um, this is something I have had on my brain and in my heart for years, if I'm being honest about it, because I wanted to have a program that was financially accessible to people and, um, afford, like affordable and accessible. I wanted people to, in my world, I work with product-based business owners. I wanted them to have a way to get the professional development help they needed without having to invest in our huge courses or my coaching programs. Like not everyone needs those things or not everyone's able to get to our in-person conference in California or, you know, we all have life parameters and things. So this has been something that's been on my mind for a long time of like, I really want to have something that's at a lower price point, but that gives so much value to them and will really really help them elevate their business, not just another PDF or a quick course or anything like that. Like I want them to have an experience and a like mm -hmm. community experience. And so I, you know, again, this was something that's been on my mind for years, but we started working in earnest on it last um, summer, probably is when I started talking about it with my peer mastermind group and kind of laying out the, the format of it and what I wanted to include and talking about pricing structure and all that stuff. Um, and, but then my team and I, when we really started building out the sales plan and building out our Mighty Networks account and all of that stuff, that started December, January of December, 2019, January, 2020. Okay. And so... Uh, you rolled this out. Well, this is airing in September. We're talking yeah. in June, but <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> you rolled this out. I think uh, about a month and a half. Ago? End of yeah, pretty much. End of April is when we opened cart. Um, and then so we opened cart for our wait list. I can get into the details of that too. Yeah. If you'd like, um, I don't know. Do you want me to cover that now, or do you want me? To no, we'll up? get into that then. Okay. So yeah, we it was it's, we opened cart. Um, end of April, closed it early May, and yeah, so we're about a month and a half in now. Okay, so it was kind of in the midst of the great pause of 2020. <laughs> yes, it, was, how, it was. How did COVID impact your timeline on rollout for this? Yeah, I will say we did take a moment in March after, you know, everything locked down. It was it was a very interesting time in March for me. Just for a little background for the audience, I I had just wrapped up our in-person paper camp conference. I was in the middle of teaching my online paper camp program, which runs twice a year and it's a live, you know, live classes and all of that. Um, and in the background, we were working on labs. Oh, and I also have my mastermind retreat coming up in April. So there was a lot mm. happening and a lot of moving parts. And um, I, this was such an important thing to me that we did really take a pause and say, okay, should we be postponing this? Should we wait and see what people need? Um, but I was doing so much front-facing work in March and April, listening to people and what their needs were in my community, what they were struggling with, how they needed immediate help in their business. And I was, I was doing extra podcast episodes. I was bringing in people to talk about PPP loans. Like we were really flying quickly with what our needs of our community were. And I realized this is all the same kind of stuff I want to do for them inside of labs. Um, it'll be structured mm. a little different, but like, so I, I did grapple with, is this the time to launch this or should I wait? Is this going to make people feel like we're trying to be opportunistic, you know, or, you know, or will they see it as we're really trying to help them? And so we decided to move forward 
at the same pace, the same timeline. We did make a few tweaks to the offer. We lowered the price and we extended the sales period for the founding member launch. We also changed our messaging in our emails and everything mm-hmm. to really make sure we were being sensitive to what was going on. Um, it's I'm not a high pressure salesperson in general, but I also didn't want it to come across that way because we did have deadlines. You know, I had yeah. a fast action bonus that had a deadline, but I wanted to be careful of how we framed that. You. Yeah, that's smart. And I'm sure we'll get into all the details. There's one thing that I want to revisit uh, of what you just said, though, which is that you spent you said you were doing a lot of front facing listening mm-hmm. to your audience. And I think that listening to your audience is something that we often just kind of gloss over like, yeah, I was listening to my audience. But I'd love to know what that actually looked like for you. What did what kind of activities were you doing that you would classify as listening to your audience? Yeah. So um I mean I have intimate contact with my mastermind coaching clients, for example. And so listening and hearing what they were with the different hurdles they were having. Yeah. I also, as I said, was in the middle of hosting my paper camp e-course, which included live calls. So I was listening to the questions and concerns that they were bringing into the group. We were still focused on teaching the things we teach in that program, but you know, you see a shift naturally. <laughs> when these life things happen. So listening to my immediate inner circle of students and Mm -hmm. then peeling back that onion, my larger community, people on Instagram, also just watching like the content I was putting out and seeing how people would engage and resonate with that, how they share it or how they comment on it. That kind of helped me see where they were needing the most help, I guess. Okay. Awesome. Thank you for explaining that, especially the piece around like listening to your mastermind clients and listening to your students, because I think that we can get really caught up in I'm delivering a product. And so you're like in delivering product mode instead of also being in listening mode and and hearing you explain that I think is going to be an aha for a lot of people. Okay. So you're listening, you're thinking about like, where do I go next with this? Is this the right time or not? Once you decided this is the right time, we're doing this, how did you start to prime your audience for the launch of Proof to Product Labs? Yeah. So I I break things down into pre-launch and then also launch zone. I'm sure you do the same. And Mm -hmm. so in our pre-launch phase, we we were... We, we were pushing a lot of different type of content. It included podcast ads. We had email sequences that we sent. Again, we were changing the messaging on those a bit. Um, we had social posts. I recorded several different videos that we shared on IGTV and elsewhere. And our sole call to action on all of those pieces was asking people to join the waitlist for Proof to Product Labs. Now, Mm -hmm. some of that content was educational based, meaning it was on topics and and sharing speakers that we're going to be teaching inside of our labs program. But some of it, um, because this was a whole new program and my community wasn't familiar with how I was running it, it was also educational of like what the format of labs would be and how it was different from my other programs and helping them kind of hone in on which one's best for me because that's always a question people have, right? So mm-hmm. we tried to really weave in storytelling and then also really what my main focus in labs is, is reminding people that strong businesses are built through slow st- strategic growth. And so I wanted to show them that there's, you can build this business any which way you want, and it's up to you to decide that, but we're going to give you lots of tools and resources so that you can make the best decisions for your business. I love that. (laughs) I love that very much. Okay. So once you got through that pre-launch phase, walk me through the campaign that you used to sell the offer. 
Yeah. So like I said, we were asking everyone to join our wait list. And that was um, that was about a two week span, I think, when we okay. did all those warm up stuff. And then we had uh, our launch phase was 13 days total. And that was for our founding member drive is what I'm calling it. And um, the first two days were only open to our wait list members. So that was like a secret sale that we had. And we had a special bonus. We called it a fast action bonus if they enrolled before we opened to the public. Now, the fast action bonus is actually an interesting story. Um, We grappled over what to give. I didn't, like I said, I didn't, I wanted this to be an experience, not just here's another PDF or here's the class or whatever. So um, we decided that that fast action bonus would be a mini mastermind with me. And four other people in labs. And now I had a little bit of anxiety about this (laughs) because I kept thinking, well, what if we have like 100 people sign up in this time and that's 20 hours of coaching? And, you know, I had a little bit of nervous there. But ultimately what we decided to go with like no limit to it. We did not limit it to, you know, the first 20 people or whatever it is. We said anyone that joins in this window will get a free mini mastermind with me and four other people and it'll be an hour long and you'll get a hot seat and all this stuff. And I'm so glad I did it because I have spaced them out um, and they've been one of the most rewarding experiences that I've had. I mean, these are things I do with my higher end coaching clients, but Mm -hmm. to do it for labs people at a low price and they get to connect with one another. Like it's building relationships is giving me that face-to-face time with them. Um, it's been really good. So we, we did have more register in that window and get that bonus than we were expecting. But I think in the end it was time and money. Well, time worthwhile there. Um, so then from the point when we opened to the public, we um, did a series of emails. We had special podcast episodes that went out. We did social posts, of course, some more videos and things like that. Um, but that window was longer than what we had originally planned. Um, mm-hmm. So it ended up being about 11 days that the founding member cart was open. And, um, you know, like most launches, we did have a dip in the middle where there were crickets, but we had strong numbers overall at the front end and at the end. And I was really pleased with where we landed numbers wise from a member num- uh, quantity of members perspective. Gotcha. Let's break that down a little bit into its component parts. You mentioned yeah. emails, podcasts, and social posts. Let's yeah. focus on those three. Okay. Um, Cause I think that that's pretty, I mean, at least among podcasters, that would be common. Um, yeah. And I think you can extrapolate podcasts out to video or other kinds of media as well. So when you're thinking through um, an email campaign, what are some of the pieces that you make sure you have in that email campaign? And what did that look like in this particular campaign? Yeah, um, I did hire a copywriter to help us with the emails. Um, and so we had... Gosh, I should have looked this up. But I think, I mean, we had almost one email a day going. There were a couple of days where we took a day off. But again, going back to something I mentioned earlier, we were really trying to weave in storytelling and, um, you know, the educational component too of how this was new and different from anything else we'd offered. We were trying to really articulate the value, the benefit. And, you know, it's interesting because you know, a lot of programs, they they have a big promise and you should have a big promise. But like my big promise felt a little more arbitrary of like, you are going to move your business forward and you're going to do it in a way that feels manageable to you. The timeline is going to be manageable. You're never behind inside of labs. We want to meet mm-hmm. you where you are and help you get to that next phase. And so the big promise felt a little more arbitrary than somebody say that's like, here's five Facebook ads you can do or whatever, you know. And so um, I, I wanted to kind of articulate that this is more of an experience. This 
this is more of a long-term growth strategy. And we're going to, we have concrete, I'm all about action and concrete strategic steps, but we're going to do it in a methodical way over a year. So, um, I don't know if I'm explaining that very well, but so the emails were kind of a mix of storytelling, uh, logistics, and mm-hmm. educational pieces too. So some of it was content educational and some of it was like program detail con- educational. Gotcha. Was there a particular order that you put those yeah, out in? We did. Yeah. And oh, some of the emails too focused on like community highlights of things people had accomplished in their business by working with me too, just to show mm-hmm. kind of proof of concept, if you will, I guess. Um, yeah. You know, we did have it. It did. It We did have a flow to it. And I can't recall the exact details of it at the moment, but we kind of wanted to intersperse like the storytelling with the technical stuff so that we weren't just hitting over the head with sale, sale, sell, like buy, buy, buy kind yeah. of stuff. Of course, our call to action every time was here's why you want to buy. Like here's this is a no, this should be a no brainer for you. Here are the bonuses. Here are this, you know, all of that. But we wanted to do I'm, again, not a super high pressure salesperson. And so I wanted to make it more of a if this is right for you, we welcome you with open arms. If it's not, that's OK, too. But ultimately, if we're not talking about our stuff and the value that we bring to people, people aren't going to buy. So it has to be a nice mix of like specifically telling people to buy and then also weaving in the the niceties around that. Yeah. Uh, can you tell me what your last like two days looked yeah. like with email? Because I think this is always some place where people are like, they know what's out there. They know what they receive, but they don't necessarily think about it from a, here's how this is going down perspective. Yeah. And I will say too, we did segment our list. Like I said, we had the wait list group and then we had our all list and the whole sales sequence for those 11 days, it was open to the public. For the most part, they did go to the entire list, but there were a mm-hmm. couple of days where we did specialize. We also were using tags. We use convert kit. So we were using tags and things like that to tag people that had clicked over to the sales page um, so that, and we were also tagging people that had purchased. So we'd remove them from our email list and they wouldn't get the sales sequences. They started getting our onboarding stuff. Um, But yeah, so we definitely leveraged different types of segments. So those last few days we did a um, email to the entire list um, one morning. And then we did a reminder that afternoon to just the wait list with like a special thing of like, these founding member bonuses go like highlighting some of the benefits of like, don't let this pass you by. And then the next morning was another. So the last two days was morning email to everyone, afternoon email to the wait list um, or interest list. And then the morning was everyone, same thing. And then we actually did three, I think, emails the last day, which I was a little bit nervous about because it was more than we normally do. But it was like everybody... And then the waitlist and interest list. And then we had a segment for just the people that had clicked that day for the third email. So that third email didn't go to as many people, but it, you know, was the hot lead basically that hadn't purchased yet. Yeah. And that last email drove sales. Oh, yeah. 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 I'm glad you shared that. I, I also tend to send three emails on the last day as well. And it also makes me nervous every single time I do it. And then every single time I do it, I'm glad that I did. <laughs> the same. The And when you look, when I look back at the stats, like the number of people unsubscribe because they got three emails is minimal. There's barely anyone that unsubscribes, but yet the sales that come from it are so powerful. Yeah. It's because those people are your most engaged people, right? Like they totally. would never dream of unsubscribing right. from your list. Right. Yeah. 
so worth it to send those three emails on the last day. Completely agree. Okay, let's take a look at the podcast. What yeah. did you do sales-wise on the podcast? Yeah, you know, I think our strategy here could have been stronger, actually. I do a weekly e- uh, weekly podcast, rather. And um, so we did stretch the sales cycle to be over to like two Tuesdays, basically. So mm-hmm. we would have the ads from that. We did try to weave in some of our upcoming speakers into ads, or I'm sorry, not ads, into the podcast episodes and try and topics that were um, tied to what we were teaching to really show what they would experience inside of it. I think we need to be better about our call to actions on the podcast. I don't really like interrupting the middle of episodes with ads, but I think we need to be doing that because again, if we're not telling people to buy from us, they're not going to. <laughs> so um yeah, I think our, our strategy there could have been stronger, but it was a mix of, we had our regular episodes. I think we did one extra bonus episode in there too, but um, it was just our once a week episode and we used call to actions at the end and the beginning in the intro. Mm-hmm. I built it into the intro. We didn't do mid rolls though. So, and then show notes and everything, all of the, you know, our website and our show notes on iTunes and Apple podcast or everywhere else that we're on, they had the links out to labs too. Okay, awesome. And then social posts. This is something I think you're really good at (laughs) that I could learn a lot from. (laughs) So the social side of it, I felt like that feels better to me too, because I, well, you can plan all this out, right? But I feel like that's where I could be the quickest responding to people's requests and and questions. So Mm. it, um, I did more videos and I will say that was fun for me. I sat down and recorded a whole bunch of different like clips that again, mirrored, I used a lot of the, I repurposed a lot of the same content that we did in our emails. So once those emails were done, I would pull things from there. But then I also went to my um, clients and I was like, what are you working on? What do you need help with? And I recorded videos that were tied to what they were doing. Some of Mm. it was COVID related. Some of it wasn't. I really tried to mix it up. And then at the end, in the beginning, I tried to say, hey, go join us in labs if you want to work with me or if you want to learn more from our community. So I did do a better job there on the video portion of tying it in. But with regards to the posts itself and stories, we did create templates for stories that we would share. We did create templates that we asked our new members to share that said, you know, here's, I'm excited to join labs. Here's what I'm focused on this year. Or I can't wait to get started in labs. We had a few different versions that they could pull from. And that got a lot of traction because then the new members came in and they shared it. And, you know, then we reached shared it. And so that was fun. Um, we definitely use a swipe up in stories. So I was definitely leveraging a lot of stories and then doing about one post a day in our feed, main, main Instagram feed. Gotcha. Um, and what platforms did you yes, post on? Thank you. Instagram's our main one. That's where we have the most followers. We pushed stuff over to Facebook. There were a few things that we um, natively posted on Facebook as well. Most of our people, because it's a product world, they're very visual. And so those two formats mm-hmm. work best for them. Uh, we're not really playing with Pinterest right now, although I'd like to get into that more. And I grew up on Twitter in the social world. So I still like to dabble there, but I'm not as strong in it anymore because I'm spending so much time elsewhere. Yeah, totally. Um Oh, ads. Yeah. Did you do oh, social ads? That's what I was going to tell you. We didn't. Do- <laughs> yeah. So, okay. I, I think this is an important piece of the story. Yeah. We, we did not do any paid ads. We did not do an affiliate program 
And we did not do a referral program for like members that joined. Those are all things that we do plan to do in the future. And we Uh had kind of on our back burner to do. But given everything that was going on with COVID and given everything that I was also working on, like all the other trains we were keeping on track in the business, we decided let's not do any of these things. Let's just make this truly an organic launch through email and social and the podcast and see how it does. And like, then we can build the building blocks after that and add to it. So we didn't do any paid ads for this. Although there were a few times where I'm like, we should be running at least like a couple of like, join the way. Like maybe some retargeting ads. Yeah, exactly. Retargeting all of these. I know. But my team had to keep pulling me back because they're like, no, that's not the focus right now. Because, you know, we were crunched for time. And also with everything else going on in the world, we had to be sensitive to what we're, how we were spending money. We didn't know. Here's the other thing, too. We put so much time and effort and money into building this whole program. And it had been months before COVID. So, like, I... I wanted to be conservative in how we approached it, but I wanted to make sure it was excellent. I wanted to make sure we were giving people everything we possibly could. Um, so it was, a, yeah, it was an interesting thing where they had to keep like pulling me back because I was like, I think we could be doing this. And they're like, nope, we're not doing that. I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> that, those are some good team members. They are, they're amazing. <laughs> You'll hear exactly how the Proof to Product Lab sales campaign unfolded in just a minute. But first, a word from our What Works partner. What Works is brought to you by Mighty Networks. Now, did somebody say sales? <laughs> Making the sale gets infinitely easier when your prospects are highly engaged, excited members of your community. When your prospects are members of your community, you can easily keep your brand top of mind, personally nurture the right people, and regularly demonstrate the value you can provide. And Mighty Networks, of course, makes it easy. When you run your brand community on Mighty Networks, not only can you connect with the people most likely to buy your next offer, you can make that offer right inside your network. Mighty Networks premium courses and groups features make it easy to offer higher levels of service as paid offers that increase both the value of what you're offering and your profit margin. With Mighty Networks, you can build a whole value creation and sales ecosystem all in one place for the people your business cares about most. In other words, Mighty Networks makes it easy to build products and sell them at the same time. Check it out for yourself. Go to MightyNetworks.com to get started free of charge. That's MightyNetworks.com. So I want to get into what challenges you ran into and also what worked better than you expected. But before we get into that, do you mind speaking to results some? Yeah. I mean, you told me, but for the podcast audience, yeah. um, what are you willing to share results-wise? Sure. So we set um, good, better, best goals for our launch. And I will say we tweaked it in the final week of pre-launch because I think I was playing small. My mindset was mm. small. So uh, our final good, better, best was um, 100 member new members, 150 new members was our um, better. And then our best was 200. And at the end of this launch, we ended up with 202 members. Oh my God. Yeah. It was pretty exciting. <laughs> so exciting. That is so awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Congratulations Thank again. You. I know I already said it, but geez. Well, okay. And, and oh, too, I should mention too, like just for context, this, um, our founding member price was $49. We also had an annual price. And so um, I share that just because I think a lot of us think we need a like big ticket product and a big ticket um, course or program or coaching program. And that's not necessarily the case. I think 
there's a lot of people that need help right now and having something at that lower price point that's accessible to them, you know, it, it, it can still lead to, I, I worried about the price point just because I'm like, well, what if only like 10 people sign up and then we've built this mm-hmm. whole thing, you know, and it's not really the, the, the amount of income coming in doesn't really sustain the program. So, but we were fortunate that it did. So, yeah. I mean, okay. So that though brings up a question about audience though, because your audience is part of what, like the size of your platform is what is part of what allows you to drive 200 plus new members to a program like this, um, which is not like, it's it's not a bad thing, but I I think that people, that's good. I, I think that, yeah, I think that the reality of that is important. So can you give us just sort of an idea yeah. of what your platform looks like? Yeah, that's a great point because the context matters, right? <laughs> and the um we have we don't have a huge email list. We have about um almost 3,000 people on that email list. And we had roughly I think it was 350 join our wait list. Okay. And so from that, we had really amazing open rates on our first two emails that went out just to the wait list. I think it was like 75% opened and there was some outrageous click-through rate too. So I believe we that. like, I'm all about, I'd much rather have a smaller list that's more engaged and interested in what we're doing. And the same for social media too. We have, um, I think we have about 12,000 or 12 and a half thousand on Instagram followers there. Um, but, you know, I feel like those are just friends hanging out. They're not <laughs> – sometimes they're <laughs> buyers. But, you know, I mean, it's definitely – it's where we warm people up. But I, I, my email is where I think that's where I'm connecting with people. That's where I'm engaging with people. Those are the people that listen to the podcast. Those are the people that purchase my programs. I will say, too, we had a large number of people – I've been doing this for nine years. So we had a large number of people who have been through my other programs, and they were excited for something new that was on a more mm-hmm. ongoing basis, too. So – Building that community takes time for sure. But yeah, that's kind of, that's like the list level we were looking at in the audience level. Gotcha. That Thank you for yeah. that. I, I, I think that context is so helpful for people. Okay. So what were some of the challenges expected or unexpected that you ran into during the campaign? Yeah. You know, I think there were a couple actually, though I think the re-messaging of everything was tough because I wasn't quite sure how to approach it. And when I say re-messaging, I mean that we rewrote a lot of our sales emails, which had already been written and wanted to make it sensitive to COVID and make it sensitive to people who didn't have the budget to buy something and didn't feel pressure to buy something. I did have somebody reach out to me and say they felt like this was not me. They felt like it was a pressure situation that I was telling them to buy and they felt really um, disappointed in me for selling something right now. I think that was it. Like people were... There were a lot of people in this time frame that were not comfortable selling. They felt like it was a weird time to sell. And so some of those people reached out and said, I can't believe you're selling right now. And, um, And in my head, I kept thinking, it's our responsibility to sell. We are running businesses here. If we don't continue to sell our products and services and help other people, especially in my world, I'm helping other people advance their businesses, which then has a ripple effect of helping the economy and helping them and their family life and their personal lives, right? So that was a little bit of a challenge, but that was very specific to the time that we were in. So that's not something that I foresee being an issue mm-hmm. later, but it w- it did like, it was tough because here I th- I'm feeling like I'm presenting something to the world that we've been working hard on that I know is going to make a positive impact and other people are seeing it as an, 
opportunistic move. And it was a very small percentage. I don't mean to make it sound like it was a lot of people, but that was tough. And so that was when I also changed some of our messaging of here's why you need to be selling your products. Here's why I'm Mm -hmm. selling my products. And like trying to lead by example too of like, this is how we can do it differently. This is how we can change our messaging. This is how we can adjust our terms and conditions and our pricing. Or There's so many things that we can do to be flexible and serve our audience well. And I think that helped the situation too. But it was tough. It was tough to hear that feedback. But otherwise, I feel like things ran pretty smoothly. We had a few hiccups with Mighty Network just because it was the first time we were running it on the back end. But otherwise, it was pretty smooth sales process. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And I mean... I, I know I heard from a lot of people too about people who were selling things during that period and, and people reaching out and saying, how, you know, how could you be selling yeah. right now? Um, and I think, you know, there was just so much fear going around and that there was going to be some sort of response no matter what you did. And if you weren't selling, you were going to hear about that too. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yes. yes. I agree with you. And I, you know, I feel like that's where it's our opportunity as coaches and leaders to stand up and be like, well, this is what I'm recommending people do. And I'm doing the same thing, you know, like leading by example as best we can. So, yeah. but I wasn't like, we did hesitate at the beginning when we were, before we were launching to say, should we be doing this? And there was a lot we considered, but decided, yes, it's absolutely the time to do this. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about what worked better than expected. Anything that jumped out at you is like, whoa, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. I think, well, sales were obviously stronger than I expected, which gave me a really good indicator that people needed this help and wanted the support. So that was, that was a real happy surprise. Um, I would say our onboarding systems were excellent. Like we put a lot of thought and care into the customer experience as we were building this down to the welcome emails they got and how we structured the Mighty Network community, how we even took it off, like the whole goal of taking it off of a Facebook community, for example, like I purposely built it off of Facebook to reduce distractions. And um, so there was a lot of intentional decisions that were made early on that as we started to see people join, they felt like big successes because we were seeing Mm. that the thought we'd put into it and the planning we'd put into it really were paying off and making it a much better experience for everybody. So that felt really good too. And um, our project manager for this whole launch was amazing at the tech automations and systems and, you know, how we were creating a workflow for how we were welcoming people and how we were doing it in a way that wouldn't inundate them with too much information, but at the same time, really welcome them. And I know you guys do the same thing in your community as well. So I think, you know, that, that first step of them coming in is an important one and you want to make sure they feel appreciated as they come in. So that was a pleasant surprise too. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so glad you brought that up as sort of like part of this larger conversation about sales too, because it's really easy to think that the sales process stops when someone puts their credit card information in. But those next few steps, there's the kind of human component of it. Like you said, you want to feel help them to feel like they belong. You want to feel like it's an experience that they're excited to be a part of. And also every step following that credit card, you know, entry is validating or not validating yeah. their buying decision. And that's when so many people start thinking about refunding. Yep. Uh, have you had any issues with refunding? Um, we did. Uh, just a couple. It's very minor, though. We had two people because we require a 12-month commitment for this. Again, mm-hmm. going with that whole stance of like, this is going to take time. So we want you to like put the time in. Um, yeah. We did have a couple people the very first week, like after they 
joined that said, oh, I didn't realize this was an ongoing monthly payment kind of thing. So they backed mm-hmm. out and we did let them out of that. Um, you know, I, I don't want to hold anyone's feet to the fire if they don't want to be somewhere. But um, so we did have that. And then we did have a couple of like payment issues the first month that recurring payments came up, but we've created it now. It's given us a chance to practice like our processes and see where we need to tweak those and all of them got worked out. So it's good. But yeah, it's, you know, it's just part of the process of figuring it out. It sure is. Um, okay, let's uh, let's shift gears a little bit. Um, it looked to me from your sales page that you've made the decision to make buying sort of ongoing, that it's not yeah. something you're closing and opening the cart on. Why did you make that decision and how is that working out so far? Yeah, I have a lot of people that are like, I think you're crazy for doing this. And I'm like, well, I'm still <laughs> on the fence. <laughs> we'll see like how I feel. But ultimately, um, you know, I the whole purpose of making proof to product labs is that I really want people to get the help they need when they need it most. And from mm-hmm. my past programs, like our paper camp program runs twice a year and people have to wait months sometimes to be able to enroll and get that content that they need. And so I I just, to me, it feels like I want labs to be like my house where stop in, come talk about these things that you need help with. You know, I mean, it's not my house, obviously, but my point is just, I wanted to make it more accessible. And so right now the cart is always open. I am assessing whether or not this is what we're going to do long-term. Um, we do plan to run a couple of like launches, probably once a quarter or every like four months, three times a year, two to three times a year, we plan to do launches with some additional bonuses and things like that, or like, um, maybe some, maybe we'll bring back a live component or something, but basically an incentive a couple times a year to get people in. But, um, we have had people join after the founding member launch just from it being open. And so we're trying, that is something we're working through right now of what's our marketing strategy going to look like if that's ongoing as an evergreen option. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about the bonuses piece. Cause I wanted to ask yeah. about, you know, how you keep up momentum between those sales campaigns. And I love the idea of, uh, having it being an ongoing enrollment, but utilizing bonuses to really kind of spike enrollment every so often and get people thinking about it. Um, You mentioned the mini mastermind for your weight, your very early fast action, uh, you know, wait list folks who are going to join. What were some of the other bonuses that you offered or you're thinking about offering in the future? Yeah. So for our founding members, they received your presentation that you gave at our business camp conference uh, a few years back. That was a very long time ago. It was, but it's such an impactful program still. So um, we pulled that and they have that. I created a profit calculator so where they can look at their product um, pricing and their profitability of different product categories that they offer. I also created a production calendar. So these things are very specific to the product world, but it's basically a, a um, production calendar where they can type in like the date they want to launch a product and it automatically populates all the other due dates for all the other tasks they have to do to get that thing out into the world. And people are loving that one. So that's been fun. And then I had another past presentation that we gave out and then um, the opportunity to do hot seats with me too. So that will be on the air on our podcast. Oh, that's clever. Yeah, it's fun. And they've, um, so they basically still have to apply and, um, and then if they're selected, they would come on the podcast and we do a hot seat on the air. And so, and they know in advance that it would be shared publicly and all that. And so we have had a lot of people apply for that. um, And it's been fun to see what they're working on. So you had mentioned what we're doing in between sales cycles and really is to keep that momentum up. And there's really twofold. Um, I feel like it's 
working internally inside the community to keep people engaged and happy and moving forward because when they're happy, they're going to tell their friends and recommend it to other people. And I think that those are going to be our strongest advocates for gaining new members. That's how what I've seen in my business and other programs. And then the external marketing component, that's where like we're highlighting our community manager, I'm sorry, not managers, our community members um, topics of conversation, different successes people have shared, really trying to bolster and boost those guys up. Because one, again, that kind of ties back to making the members feel validated and, and welcome and happy. And then it also shows the world outside of the community what people are doing inside. So those are two of the tactics that we're trying to do to keep up momentum in between these launches and just kind of, again, get people coming in while we're open evergreen right now. Perfect. So looking toward your next sales campaign, then what are you planning on keeping from this very first campaign? And what are you planning on doing differently? Good question. Um, We're definitely going to shorten the sales cycle. um, So it won't be as long of a time frame. We want to add a lot more storytelling and do highlights of our community members and the changes they've made. I want to leverage a lot more like this sounds silly, but I think it's important, like screenshots of what people are, their success stories and building that into our blog and our podcast. Like I really want it to be storytelling focused. Um, we are raising the price. So after that founding member cart closed, we did raise the price to $79. Um, and we also have an annual option that saves us some money. Um, but we, I anticipate like that was one of the perks of joining as a founding member too. They were going to get our lowest rate ever and lock it in for as long as they stay a member. So when those people come up for renewal next year, they'll stay at that rate. Um, so that price will continue to increase. Um, but we will do some additional bonuses, some new things we've been working on. But yeah, like we'll still love. And then too, like I mentioned, we'll probably layer in some affiliate type stuff or ads um, or a referral type network for the current members too. Lots of options. Awesome. <laughs> well, you've given us such a great overview of how you pulled off this incredibly successful campaign in one of the weirdest <laughs> market environments that any of us have ever lived through. Um, so I just have one last question yeah. for you, which is what are you excited about right now? Yeah, I'm excited about... Um, I'm really excited about labs, which I know sounds like an obvious answer given that this whole podcast is about labs, but I'm I'm really taking a hard look at my business too and how I want to be spending my time and where I want to be, how much money we want to be making and how we want to be leveraging that in different ways. And I am in the midst of making some changes on my team and the programs that we're offering because I built this business to give myself more flexibility and uh, from a personal standpoint. And I also want to make a very large impact. And I've been very excited to see that Labs is allowing me to do that. I'm able to serve a lot more people in a, in a really strong way. And it's not coming at a sacrifice to my family or my personal life or anything like that. Now, we're in the midst of a really strange year and a really strange time, and we don't know what that future is going to hold. But to know that I'm still continuing to do strong work through these different channels and like people are benefiting from it, that makes me feel really good. So I'm excited about what's to come in the future and the changes my customers and clients are making. um, And two, that I have the flexibility to make changes in my own business as I need which I don't know. That's what I'm excited about these days. That's awesome. I'm excited for you. you. (laughs) Katie, thank you so much for everything that you've shared, the transparency with which you've shared it. And um, thanks for giving us an inside look at your sales campaign. Yeah, my pleasure. um, I'm happy to 
provide any other follow-up you need to for this. I really appreciate your time today, Tara. And this was um, a fun conversation. Okay. Wow. I love this kind of what works conversation. All right. Yes, I love them all. And there's just something really special about those opportunities to really dig in and get all the juicy details from someone. Katie laid out her whole sales campaign for us, which is incredible. And hopefully it gave you some hope on how to replicate something similar for your own sales campaigns. And there's something I want you to keep in mind here. Katie is a seasoned marketer and salesperson who has built both the operational capacity and audience to pull this off. And while this launch didn't have some of the fancy bits and bobs you might have expected, like Facebook ads or affiliates, it was still a sophisticated operation. What I hope you really take from this is that you can go all in on a sales campaign without doing hashtag all the things. Katie made key choices about how she was going to approach the campaign, what they were going to do and what they weren't going to do, and what would be in the best interest of her audience at the time. No matter what sampling of sales techniques you use for your next campaign, you can take that same thoughtfulness with you as you commit to your plan and follow through to make the sale. Find out more about Katie Hunt at prooftoproduct.com and listen to the Proof to Product podcast wherever you listen to What Works. Next week, I'm sitting down with my friend Kate Strathman to talk about how we can still be effective salespeople without appropriating manipulative or exploitative sales techniques. What Works is produced by Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Sean McMullen. This episode was edited by Marty Seafelt, and our production coordinator is Kristen Runvik. What Works is recorded in what is now known as Lidditz, Pennsylvania, which is on the homeland of the Susquehanna people. The Yellow House is located in northwestern Montana on the homeland of the Katunaha Nation. 